Amen. Let's pray for uh, both Jerry and Robert. Father, we thank you for these uh, brothers. We thank you for your redemptive work in their hearts and lives. We thank you for Jerry and thank you for the many, many years ahead of him to live more and more every day in the fullness of your grace and truth and life and to live as a light, bringing the life of God to those around him. Lord, we just thank you for the plans that you have for him. Lord, thank you for Robert. Thank you that while he's never known his earthly father, thank you that he gets to know you as his heavenly father. I pray that his intimacy with you would be sweet, that he would know what it means to have a perfectly good father who has great plans and purposes for his life and that he would be surprised at those, that he would embrace those, that he would live those out to your great glory and honor. Thank you for these two brothers, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. 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 Whew, it's good, huh? All right. I guess you don't want to listen to me, so you're going to leave now, huh? Bye. <laughs> I appreciate Sue's desire to have the kids come in and, uh, and watch baptisms, and I hope you don't mind them getting the front row seats. I guess you could have had them if you'd got, wanted them, so anyway. Well, for the past uh, 12 weeks or so, we have been talking about what our purpose is, what our mission is, and how we live that out. And uh, we're going to do it this Sunday, the next couple of Sundays. And then um, three weeks from today, we have uh, missionary partners in Japan. The Thompson's going to be here, and he's actually going to be preaching. Um, so uh, we just want to kind of continue to, to work on this. And uh, you may think, okay, now come on, enough's enough. But interestingly, as you read through the scriptures, you'll find that the Lord Jesus, this was his constant emphasis. In some ways, we never get beyond it. And, um, and in fact, I would argue that there are so many currents in our life that pull us away from this. And, uh, and thus, it just takes a, a kind of a laser focus uh, to stay on track with what the church's purpose is, because there's a lot of good things the church can do, but it can do a lot of good things and miss the one thing that it is designed and called to do, and the same thing is true for our lives. So this is the way we state our purpose here. We reflect the glory of God in community. One of the things that's often missed in uh, Christianity today is we well understand that God comes to bring life to individuals as Jerry and Robert have testified to us, but he's not just about redeeming individuals, he's about putting them together within a redeemed body. As John Stott, the pastor in England would say, he's about creating a new society that is a taste of the society that will forever be in heaven. And so there's a quote actually there in your notes that says, God is not only giving eternal and abundant life to individuals in Jesus Christ, He is making a gospel community which is experiencing and growing in the life of God, being His living body to a dead and dying world. And thus, it's important that we stay at this. 
with all of our foibles and all of our spots and all of our wrinkles. Jesus is about this, and, uh, and because he's about it, we need to stay about it, and we will experience his blessing. The question is then, how do we reflect God's glory? I mean, that sounds cool, that sounds right. How do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways, but this is the way he put it in John 15. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you prove to be my disciples. And he's talking there, and the metaphor is a grapevine. And as we abide in Christ, the promise is here, as we abide in Christ, the life of Christ flows into us and flows through us, and we bring that life of Christ to other people so that now they abide in Christ. And so very clearly here, it is talking about helping other people become followers of Jesus Christ and developing them in that. And in fact, he says it here, so you prove to be my disciples. Disciples do that. Disciples do that. So here's our mission statement, the way we've chosen to put it. The Great Commission says, make disciples. We've chosen just this terminology because we feel like it communicates a little bit better with our particular generation that's outside of the church. But it is we go, we're actively, we're initiators uh, and we develop <clears throat> devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There's a recognition that there's a huge developmental process going on here. There's a developmental process that's going on in each one of us because we're not in heaven yet. And we are to help that developmental process in other people uh, wherever they might be with God, and they are all over the map with God. And so then the question that flows out of this is, what does a devoted follower of Jesus Christ look like? If I'm to, to help them grow in that, what am I specifically helping them do? And of course, you can just say everything in the Bible, but since that's a little big for most of us to get our heads around, especially me, uh, we have chosen four different things of how followers of Jesus develop, that's an interesting spelling of develop, through knowing Jesus and living our lives according to the Bible. So knowing Jesus, this has to do with just understanding what it means to live in the love and the life of God. This just means being a receiver. This means uh, uh, just all of that. We've already measured up in Christ. What does it mean to keep growing in the knowledge of Christ and become uh, our lives living more and more according to the Scriptures. So the, the way I picture this is, this is just having hands opened wide and receiving all of the life that God has. And of course, we do that through God's revelation, the Scriptures. The second aspect is the one that's more horizontal, and that is we engage as family in God's church because God has said the church family is a transformational community. It is where lives get developed more into the Christ-likeness of God. And so we horizontally engage with each other within a local church. And thankfully, we have so many of them in America that can be a part of this. Very unlike the Tolaki and Bajo people that do not have a single church in their midst. The third thing is we organize our lives to tell others about Jesus. The vast majority of people that live around us and live in our world 
have no idea that they need Jesus. And they've got some really screwed up ideas if they know about him. And, and so we are to organize our lives to tell others about Jesus. And in all things, oh, and so that's the external thing. That's the moving out aspect. And then in all things, praising God and seeking his will through prayer. In the developmental aspect of being a follower of Jesus, we move into a place where we praise God more and more and more in all circumstances, not just when it goes the way we want it to, but in all circumstances because of who he is. And we learn more and more of how desperately dependent we are on him. There's a very real aspect of the more you grow spiritually, the more childlike you become in your desperate dependence upon God. And so that's that developmental aspect, and this is very much the upward aspect of praising God and depending upon God for all things in life and receiving them from Him through praise. Now, when we think about the two especially uh, outward ways of putting this, One is we go and develop devoted followers of Jesus, and we organize our lives to tell others about Jesus. This is where a lot of times we get caught up in in, uh, the current that pulls us away from this. And, And most of us don't get caught up in a current that's a bad current. We get caught up in things like our responsibilities to our families, or our responsibilities to our job or our responsibilities to our church. And we get so busy about that that somehow we're no longer organizing our lives to tell people about Jesus. We're no longer making sure that we're developing devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that would be to miss the whole point of why God's left us here. That would be to settle for something good when he wants to do something glorious in and through us. And so it's easy to get caught up in that current, and we just do not want to do that. Now, we're going to talk more uh, this week, especially next week, because for some of us, yes, we need to stop doing some things, things that don't matter for eternity. But for most of us, it's an issue of integrating Uh, We just live very segmented lives, and it's really more an issue of integrating and seeing every relationship as a discipleship relationship and figuring out which people we should be pouring our lives into, telling them, and helping develop them. So more on that uh, probably especially next week. And so there's this current of just uh, the responsibilities and the good things in our life. There's also a current that can pull us away from, us, from this, though, that tells us that is certain people's ministry, but it's not mine. That's a lie. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to think that. Every single follower of Jesus Christ is called to be making disciples. And that's what I want to spend the next weeks doing is going through the Gospels and looking at what the message of the Gospel is as well as the method of the Gospels. Now, as I'll say, because a lot of you may be panicking right now, 
But, uh, what I'll point out in a few minutes is, hopefully we'll get that far actually, um, is there's a lot of ways to do this. But you've got to be doing it. You just have to be doing this. I have to be doing this. I cannot get so busy pastoring and running a church that I'm not making disciples. And that is easy to happen. And so this is a calling upon every single one of our lives. So I want to go through, um, oh, here's an interesting quote. This has rattled my brain. I have no idea who Mike Brenn is, but I like the quote. I think I like the quote. Actually, I didn't like the quote, but I think it's true. How about that? <laughs> it's one of those kind of surgery kind of quotes, you know? If you make disciples, you will always get a church. If you start churches or are part of a church, you may not get disciples. I mean, I read that about two weeks ago, and it has been just percolating in there because I think it is absolutely true. And if we don't do anything else in life, but we make disciples, Jesus is going to say, well done. Well done. And we don't want to miss that. We do not want to miss that. So what we're going to do over the next uh, couple weeks is we're going to go through the message and the means that Jesus has taught us. So turn over in the Gospel of Mark to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And uh, if you're not used to reading the Bible, man, we're really glad you're here this morning. You can just grab one out of the, out of the pew in front of you there, and uh, we're on page 994. Uh, so many of you are way better electronically, and there you can download a copy of God's Word, and you can find Mark on there. Uh, so whatever, I just really want to encourage you to, to, to read and follow along there. Now, let's back away from Mark 1 for just a moment here. And, and let's, just, let's just hone in on the message. We've talked already a lot about it. It's been spoken even from the baptismal this morning. Um, but when we move into the New Testament, help me out here now, the first four books of the New Testament are called what? Gospels. The Gospels. The Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John four different eyewitness accounts uh, to the gospel or the good news. The word gospel literally means good news. It is the word good along with messenger, good message, good messengers who bring the news. The word rarely was used in the Old Testament. The word gospel in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is very rarely used. It's used in a couple of places of good news about finding food when there's a famine, good news of a victory in battle or in a war. But interestingly, it is rarely used in the Old Testament. And when it is used, it's used as we would use good news today. Good news of my good grades. Good news of a baby being born. Um, it's used in that way. But all of a sudden, when we come into the New Testament, it is the word. The word. Why would that be? Well, it's because Jesus entered into the world during the time of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, the word gospel had a very specific meaning. The word gospel was used to announce a new Caesar, a new king, or a new ruler in Rome. And thus, 
a change in the kingdom of Rome, the ruling of Rome. And what God does is he often takes words that the culture well understands and he uses those words to describe who he is and what he is up to. And that's exactly what he did with the word gospel. And so the gospel of Mark here is written primarily to the Romans or initially to the Romans. And so verse one says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. If you were a Roman and you heard the word gospel, you would immediately think there is a new ruler and there is a new way that he is going to rule. That's what the word would have meant. And that's the way that God uses it. And he says, who is this new ruler? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so any Roman who would hear the word gospel would automatically think new ruler, new way of ruling. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the, uh, the book of Romans to the people in Rome, he says, I am not ashamed of what? The gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the rule and reign of Christ. They got that. They understood that. They understood what it meant to have a king or a pharaoh, or not a pharaoh, a Caesar, who would rule over them. And it was language that instantly communicated a new king, a new ruler, a new authority who's ushering in a new kingdom. And it becomes the predominant word in all of the New Testament. The good news of a new ruler, King Jesus. And why is this such good news? Because he rules and he brings his reign to a person's life First of all, through his redemptive work on the cross, that he died to pay for our sins, and that he was raised on the third day so that we might be forgiven of our sins and live eternally and abundantly. So he brings the reign of God through his redemption, and that reign is extended in a person's life through his ongoing rule. And that's why we call him Jesus and that's why we call him Lord. That's why we call him Savior and Lord more accurately. He redeems us and then he brings his life through his ongoing ruling and leadership. And how is this life received? Jump over to verses 14 and 15. Now after John, John the baptizer had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, and here's the crux of the message, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. How is that kingdom received? Through repentance, through a recognition that you are not currently under the ruling of God you're under the ruling of Satan. You're under the ruling of your own sinful self. You're under the ruling of this world. You're under the rule of all kinds of things. And you turn from that and you turn to accept Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and as your King. That's the way you come into the kingdom of God. Now, even kingdom isn't a word we well understand in America. In, in fact, maybe it'd be good just to rehearse. What are some of the attributes or what are some of the characteristics of the 
kingdom of God. What kind of a rule does one experience when they come into the kingdom of God? And so help me out here, and my hearing isn't very good, so you just say it loud enough for everybody to hear, okay? The kingdom of God, for example, is characterized by the agape love of God. That's all that is in the kingdom of God is agape love. What else would characterize the kingdom of God? Okay, it's filled with mercy. Peace. Pardon? Truth. Yeah, I'm telling you, my hearing's not good. I'm not going to even try to repeat. You just say it loud enough for everybody. We could go on a long time, couldn't we? It's important that when we hear kingdom of God that that's the stuff that goes through our heads and hearts because that's the gospel. That's what Christ saves us into. And as we follow him as our Lord, that's what we grow into more and more. And then we take our final breath and the Lord returns and then we enter into the fullness of it. And here Jesus is saying he has brought the kingdom of God near. He's brought it to people through his preaching and through his life. And so that is the message of the kingdom of God. Now, throughout church history, followers of Jesus have, you know, used different means to get this message out. The message has always stayed the same, but sometimes they've used different terms uh, because kingdom of God is not something that probably translates in our culture very well. You have to teach them about kingdoms. It's not a democracy, for example. Um, and and so, so you may, so gospel tracts and gospel presentations have used other terms to describe this same message. This was the one that hit home in the Roman Empire. And it still hits home in many, many ways. What I took you through last week was drawing on a napkin at in and out how the kingdom of God is all about life and the love of God coming in its fullness. So however it is communicated, that is the message of the kingdom of God. How then does that message get out? What is the means of getting that message out? Because you can have the best message in the world, but if it doesn't get out, what? What's the point? What's the point? And so the means is also very, very important. And we see right here in verse 14 that Jesus begins to get the message out by his own preaching of the gospel of God. Now read down through with me verses 16 down through verse 20. As he, Jesus, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. There's two words in here that, that are so helpful in understanding what it means for us to be faithful to developing devoted followers of Jesus. They are follow Jesus and fish. Follow Jesus and fish. Those two words are found throughout, and we're going to use that metaphor this morning of following Jesus and fishing. Now, chronologically, this is not the first time that these two sets of brothers have encountered the Lord Jesus. If you put the chronology of the Gospels together, they've already spent about four months following Jesus and experiencing a lot of what he did. But this was a call to, to, if you will, vocationally become one of his disciples and a follower of his. And so what I want to do uh, this week, and then we'll pick it up uh, next week, is I want to walk through and kind of do a survey of the Lord Jesus Christ and his means of getting the message out. And I'm going to walk through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and look at some of the other passages next week. But here's kind of the, the way that Jesus gets the word out. After he personally does this, he says, those who follow him, he will what? Make them fishers of men. Do you see something developmental going on there? Uh, when Jesus calls those four brothers, or those two sets of brothers, what he's saying is, I am committed to helping you become fishers of men. Now, he, in, in one way, he's setting a vision for them, isn't he? He's saying, you know, you can fish for whatever's in the Sea of Galilee. I don't know what kind of fish are in there. Probably not trout, whatever it is. You can fish for those fish for the rest of your life, or you can follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, he's casting a vision there of not just laboring for what fills your belly, but laboring and bringing people into a relationship with Jesus and filling heaven. He's really just helping them to lift up their eyes from, from what had been their responsibilities to go after something much bigger, and with that is his commitment to make them into what he's calling them to be. And so he says, those who follow him, he will make fishers of men. And really, the next three years are Jesus making them into followers who will fish. That's really all it is. And they have some pretty significant failures in there, don't they? But that's really the means of the Lord Jesus Christ in getting his message out is those who follow him, he's going to teach how to fish for people. And so the next thing that we see is, and next thing we notice as we go through the Gospels is, uh, Jesus teaches and fishes his followers' watch. So if you were to read through the rest of the Gospels uh, over the next, uh, and, and watch them over the next three years with his disciples, what you'll notice is all his teaching has to do with the kingdom of heaven, and he's really just teaching his followers 
how to fish. I recently, because it was assigned to me, I'm so grateful for people who give me assignments, because uh, I, I learned things I'd never learn otherwise. But I had to go through the Gospel of John and notice his methodology. And as you go through the Gospel of John, what I found was, what you'll find is, 33 times in the Gospel of John, it says Jesus and his disciples with him. Now, when you read something repeated 33 times, there's a point. Jesus was doing things intentionally with his disciples. So they go to the wedding at Cana, and it says Jesus and his disciples with him. He goes into the temple and cleans the temple the first time around. Jesus and his disciples with him. What's the point of all that? Jesus is teaching and he fishes and his followers are listening and watching. What they're learning is how to fish. How do you fish for people? In fact, it, it could be said that, that Jesus is just teaching them you know, the divine power bait, if you will. What can you put out there in front of people so that the people that God's going to call to himself will bite? What can you do? And so the wedding at Canaan is as much about his teaching his disciples as it is providing for a great party. Now, thankfully, with God, he can do both things at once. But you see that throughout. And then what you see is Jesus instructs his followers to pray for more fishers. Now, he actually switches the metaphor, if you don't recognize that one. He actually prays for more laborers because the harvest is ripe. But sticking with our fishing metaphor here, he says, there's a lot of fish in the pond to be caught. Fish, or, or in this case, pray for more fisherwomen. Pray for more fishermen to fish in the pond. You remember that Paul in uh, the book of Acts, it talks about how Paul, um, for whatever reasons, I tend to think it was because of discouragement, was going to leave Corinth. And God says, no, you stay here, Paul. There are many people in this city called by my name. They just didn't know it yet. They needed to hear the gospel. They needed to be developed into followers of Jesus. And when he finally left there, there's a church. What God was saying, Paul, stay and fish in Corinth. And that's what Jesus says, pray. And then he sends them out. He sends out the 12 to fish. We'll look at this account uh, next week. It's found in both Mark here in 6 and Matthew chapter 10. He sends out the 12, and we're going to look at that because there's instruction there on how to fish. So we're going to look at how to fish as Jesus taught the 12 to fish. So what's the point of all that? Here's the point for us. Those who follow Jesus fish for more followers. Those who follow Jesus fish. They just fish. Now you'll notice in there there's no guarantee of how, what the catch will be. That's God's deal. But they fish. The next thing we notice as we go through the Gospels is that Jesus sends out the 70 to fish. 
And we'll look at this next week as well in Luke chapter 10. And I think implied in sending out this 70 to fish is that the 12 were going out with them. And in fact, the 12 now are teaching the 70, or the other what? What would that be? 58. Uh, how to fish. And so what's going on here? I think followers develop other followers to fish. I think that's what's going on there as he sends out the 70. The instructions stay exactly the same. And so Jesus sends out the 70 to fish, and there we see the followers develop other followers to fish. And then we go to the very last hours of Jesus as he is about to die, and then an amazing prayer in John 17. Part of that prayer, he says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, what does it mean by that? As you sent me to fish, as you sent me to, to teach other people who follow me to fish, I'm sending them out to follow me and become fishers and to become developers of other people to follow me and teaching them how to fish. You see that? There's, there's something the disciples understood about that. That just as the Father has sent him into the world, so he was sending his other disciples. He goes on a couple verses later to say, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that would include us today, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, often we use this passage as talking about getting along. And certainly that's part of this. But the other big part of it is, is Jesus throughout his life says, I don't do anything but what the Father tells me. The mission the Father has me on is the mission I'm on. The purpose my Father has for me is my purpose. There's a unity of mission. There's a unity of purpose absolutely bound up in this. So it's not all kumbaya, let's get along. It's, Father, may they be one in mission. May they be one in purpose, in fishing for followers. And when those followers begin to follow me, teaching them how to fish. The Lord Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, and then he gives this great commission that we read earlier that is, again, you see the consistency here of what God is doing in not just developing the message in people, but developing the means or the methodology by which this message gets out when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, one more point I want to add to this. Uh, well, here's our two points. Those who follow Jesus, fish for followers. Followers develop other followers to fish. Here's the third point I want to make sure that we understand this morning. There is great diversity on how followers fish. This is where I think we often get in trouble because we get around a certain way a particular person's fishing and that's not the way we should fish. Now, we're not talking about a change of message. We're talking about using the gifts and abilities and places that God has put us. But they, regardless of how you fish, though, they fish. 
So there may, there's differences in how you fish, but the reality is followers fish. They figure out a way to fish. They figure out how to be faithful to fishing. So, for example, I thought this was an amazing picture of fishing. <laughs> there's one way you can fish, okay? Or here's another fishing technique. This is what Mike does, right? Yep, saw you down there on Wednesday night doing this. Or here's another way you can fish and get on a boat. And some of you may say, I get seasick on a boat. I'm not fishing off a boat. That doesn't mean you can say, I ain't fishing. You figure out a way to fish. Because followers fish. Say that with me, in fact. Followers fish. Don't you love it how Jesus makes it so simple for us? And they teach others how to fish. That's just part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You fish and you teach other followers how to fish. Now, while there is great diversity, here's, here's the continuing constant of fishing. It will always involve the Spirit of God and the gospel of God in a follower of God. Because the Spirit of God has been given to us to bear witness to Christ, the gospel of life within us, the Word of God within us, is the sword that the Spirit uses in and through the life of a follower of God, and they fish. You see it? So it's important. Whether you used to fish and it's gotten crowded out, get back to fishing for people. If you're already fishing, one of the things about fishermen, they always want to get better. Just keep getting better. If you've written it off as not your gift or not your strong point or whatever, confess that as a lie, repent of it, and figure out how to start fishing. We're going to look at some of that in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the glorious work of Christ, not just in what he has done for us in his great redemptive work and in his personal presence with us, but even in the example that he gives us on what it looks like to follow him. And uniquely, as we've emphasized this morning, how we need to be fishers of people. We just need to drop the hook of the gospel in and see what you want to do. So God, grow us, each one of us, in our faithfulness of both following you and being fishers of men. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.